0: Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I am your host, Brennan LaFaro, and I am joined by my friend, Patrick McDonough. Say hello, Patrick. Hello. And I am also joined by Candace Nola. Hello, Candice. Hello, Candace. And uh, we are very, very honored to be joined by Karen Slaughter, the author of the Will Trent series and so many more. Say hello, Karen. Hello, Karen. Somebody's got to do it obligatory. Very, very nice. Thank you for taking the uh, <laughs> the drop on that one. So Karen, we'd love to get started and just kind of jump into uh, where does your storytelling journey begin?
1: Oh boy. Um, you know, I guess when I was a kid, I, I always told stories. I usually got in trouble for it because they call them lies. Um, eventually I started writing my own little books when I was about six or seven years old. And Since I'm the youngest of three girls, most of them were about my sisters being mutilated or murdered. Um, So I I didn't really have a narrative arc. It was more magical realism. You know, the ending was always happy because they were gone. Um, But so I continued writing stories and eventually I managed to graduate high school. I was in college. I dropped out of college and just concentrated on trying to get an agent and trying to get a book deal. And that took about 10 years, and I'm lucky it worked out because, as I mentioned, I dropped out of college and I barely graduated high school, so there weren't a lot of career options open to me.
0: I'm so pleased that you shared with us that it took approximately 10 years to kind of land that agent and take that next big step in your career because so many newer authors, uh, that's something that it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. The fact that you can be boots to the ground, working just absolutely writing your ass off, and that it's still going to take time to kind of develop and and grow your voice uh, and find somebody who connects with that, and then be able to, uh, you know, build the next stage of your career and get that that first book out to readers. I wonder if you could kind of talk about what you learned in those ten years.
1: Well, I mean, we should also say for some writers, it does kind of happen overnight. Um, You know, Kathy Reichs just decided to write a book and it got published and she's an asshole. Um, So, you know, sometimes people just get lucky. And also Kathy was very old when it happened um, and I was much younger. So there's a big difference there. Um, But for me, I, you know, just looked at it as a business because I was a business person. I had a sign company um, and it was mostly so that I didn't starve while I was trying to work. Uh, on on books and writing. And if I got rejections, I just thought, well, it's not going to work for this person. It's maybe it'll work for this other agent. And, you know, obviously it was soul crushing and I wanted to quit many times, but I, I just told myself, you know, agents are salespeople and if they don't think they can sell it, that doesn't mean they think it's bad. It just means it doesn't work for them. It's not their type of book. And so I started thinking, well, what's the best way to find a good agent who loves this kind of stuff is I'm going to read some of my favorite books in the back at the acknowledgements. I'm going to find out if they thank their agent. And if they thank their agent, that means they like them, right? You would think, at least when they wrote the book. And so I read this um, wonderful book, Sisters and Lovers by Connie Briscoe. And it wasn't really like a thriller, but it had this really great suspense narrative drive. And I, I saw that Connie had thanked her agent in the back. And so that made me reach out to the woman who's been my agent since my first book deal.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Um, w- What I would also add to that, no, I'm, I'm unagented. So I'm speaking from a place of complete inexperience, but just from talking to people and understanding is just the idea that you want you know, it, it, you might be itchy to get an agent. You might want one right off the bat, but you want to find the right fit for you and the person who connects with your work because somebody who doesn't connect with it uh, isn't going to kind of pitch it with the same passion that that you are putting into it. So I'm just kind of throwing that thought out there. Patrick, I'm going to throw it to you now. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so
2: I just want to dive into After That Night uh, off the bat and just ask it's it's a series for those that aren't familiar but i i want to know um this is probably just way way too many things are going to come to mind with this but what's will trent mean to you who is he to you and why why do you think he's had this hold on you for so many years
1: well i think primarily because i find him interesting and Sarah also, I mean, I've written about Sarah even longer. And to me, they they feel, I mean, I'm not crazy. I know they're not real people, but they feel real in my head. And how I interact in life, particularly with Sarah, there's always the, the thought of her in the back of my head, you know, how would she respond to this? And maybe I shouldn't be crazy. And maybe people want to understand when I call Kathy Reich's an asshole, it's because it's love, but she is much older than me. Um, so, you know, there's all this, these sorts of things going on in my head. Like when I'm, when I'm not writing that keep them present in my mind constantly. Um, and so when I sit down to write about them, I feel like I'm writing about a part of their lives. That's a very important thing because you have, you're going to spend a lot of time writing a book, and you have to feel passionate about it. I mean, obviously, it's very hard, right? It's not easy. Everybody would write a book if it was easy. Um, And some people, if it is easy, and they write a lot of books, they probably need to keep their day jobs. Um, But for me, you know, I have to really love these characters. And I have to love what I'm saying and be interested in what I'm saying. And that's part of the driving force for why I do this. And it's why I don't do a series book every year. I want to keep it fresh. I want to make sure that I'm telling the right story for these characters. I don't want to feel like I'm just doing it because, hey, they're going to pay you X amount of money if you write a Will and Sarah. And, you know, that's never been part of my uh, decision making. I just write the book I want to write. And hopefully people love it as much as I do.
2: Hmm. that's interesting um i saw on this interview I, i think it was earlier this year with you there was talks of the will trent series and you said how um you were you were asked something to the effect of like what are your thoughts on the adaptation and you talked about will's car how in the book it's black but due to the visual like the actual visual of it on the screen it just doesn't Uh, translate as well um i'm wondering if there's anything else like that like me and brendan we're from massachusetts so like right off the bat people think we're from boston we aren't we don't have the accent we live near there but um i bring that up because the accent is always noticed uh in in any boston-based movie i'm wondering if you kind of picked up on that with uh for georgia accents is there something like that is there something that they did really great that you're happy about or maybe there's something else that you would want people to know about it to check it out
1: well i mean accents are different my sister speaks with a very heavy southern accent i mean like sticks come out of her mouth and that's wonderful but that's just like a where she grew up as an adult she picked that that up and so I think it's great. Everybody kind of has a different accent. You know, Sonia lives in Carolina, so she's got a very different Carolina, depending on North or South is different, but then to Georgia is very different. So, you know, just the, the intonations can be, if you're a Southerner, you really notice them. And so I think they're doing a fantastic job. I like, I like the diversity of dialect. I like the diversity of casting. I think it's really interesting. They're telling really fascinating stories. They're pulling a lot of different things from the books. Um, But that being said, the books are the books and the show is the show because these are creative people. I mean, you guys are creative people, so you know how this works. You can't get an assignment and not bring your opinion, your details, your experience, all those other things to it. And so You know, there are set designers, there are clothing designers, there are people who pick out the shoes and the music, and they all are creative people. And so it's much more of a collaboration than a book. And all that being said is, I should say, if you don't like that collaboration as an author, then you should not experience this. You should just keep your rights back. Sue Grafton famously did it. She worked in television. She hated television for what it did sometimes to books and she knew what would happen with her stuff. So, you know, she got millions of dollars offered to her. And she's like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to see it happen. Um, And that's also an option, right? Um, For me, it was very exciting though. I love Liz Heldens. Who's the executive, one of the executive producers, it's her production company. She's a real fan of the series and she gets what I'm trying to do. Um, there's a real emotional heart to the stories. And I think that's one, because she's an, a, a very nice, kind person. Um, but also she wrote for years on Friday Night Lights. So she mm-hmm. understands those those beats and those moments that build suspense to relationships.
2: I really like, um, I might be mispronouncing his name, Ramon Rodriguez. His, yeah. his portrayal is just, it's not... <laughs> I know everyone's is different, but it's not what I pictured in my head, but I love it. It just feels. And then after I see him play the part, I'm like, no, I can't unsee that. Did you yeah. have a similar effect?
1: You know, I didn't because the will in the books is described very differently. And I will tell you, that is like the best thing that ever happened. Because when I was writing Girl Forgotten, which has characters from pieces of her, which was on Netflix, Tony Collette played this character of Laura. And she was very close to physically how I pictured Laura. And she did an amazing job, but it was her interpretation uh, of the script's interpretation of Laura in my book. And it was a real struggle as I was writing that character in the follow-up to make it the book Laura rather than the Tony mm. Colette Laura, because I just kept they kept crossing and crossing. And actually at the end of the day, I was like, man, I cannot put her in this a lot because I'm going to end up, you know, cribbing from the TV stuff. And I need to stay true to the books because the books, that's my purview. I'm not doing the scripts. I'm not involved in that. And I want to be as clean as possible and as clear as possible. And, you know, Ramon Rodriguez is amazing. He's a very, very sexy man. He's incredibly yeah. sweet. You know, he was raised by a single mom and sisters. So he gets like what it's like to be in a world of women um and he's doing such a terrific job but he's doing his will and it helps me so that I can do my will
2: that is so I've never even really thought about that's so bizarre thinking like because when we all start we're all writers and when you start writing you know books or short stories it's cool to think about adaptations but I mean right out the gate Karen you kind of got attention with your debut um I'm curious how as far as like awards and you know uh recognition from your peers after this question candace jump in uh but karen i'm wondering how how your first reception was um to the debut if if you kind of maybe approach things with your writing a little bit different then really anything that you want to talk about from then to maybe now
1: well this might cue up candace really well because uh Ladies represent. Yeah, it was very different. When I started writing Grant County with Sarah, I'm writing about a woman who is attractive. She's very successful. She's well respected in her community. She's a doctor. She has a great sex life. And I was writing at a time where none of that was okay. You know, it was more like, who does this bitch think she is? Right. Oh, wow. And and I, I should preface that by saying, what you guys know, like 80 to 85% of all fiction buyers are women. And women can look at a picture of another woman and just fucking hate her. Right. And so I realized as I was writing Sarah, I need to make sure she's not too perfect. You know, Jack Reacher can love the ladies, take out the bad guys, never get really hurt, be awesome all the time. And people are like, yeah, that's great. But if a woman does that, People are, we're. I mean, a little bit now we're seeing a lot of regression. Um, but when I started, it was me, Kathy Reichs, Patsy Cornwell in the U.S. Writing what they, what I would call well, what was called muscular thrillers because they didn't even have words for women who wrote like this. You know, Sue Grafton, Sarah Paretsky, hard-boiled you know, feisty PI, that kind of stuff, but women who looked at violence unflinchingly, particularly violence against women, and who talked in detail about what crime was, what the investigation was. You know, I got a lot of um, um, comparisons to Thomas Harris, even though we weren't really doing the same thing. They are like, whoa, what is is close to this? Um, A lot of my reviews said, I write like a man, um, because that really, there was like no way for them to, uh, just like get in their brains that a woman could do this. And, you know, I've, I've known Kathy just as like long as I've had in my career. And I know she got the same kind of pushback. It was a little easier for her because of the fact that she is in that field of medical anthropology and she has the degrees but still you know she's got some jackass on the internet saying I think you got this detail wrong even though you've devoted your entire professional life to this because I googled something but like at that moment when I wrote that first book and I should mention Mo Hader in the UK she was also doing this and she got such tremendous pushback and she she died recently and she, she was just an amazing writer. I had such respect and love for her as a human. Um, but we did, we got a lot of shit for it. And, you know, we've got Gone Girl, we've got Lisa Jewell, we've got, uh, I should say Gillian Flynn, not Gone Girl, but we've got a lot of women writers now who can write about whatever they want in amazing ways. You know, Wanda Morris, for instance, is just fantastic. But, I don't think that anyone would have paid attention to her because it would have just been considered like a small genre women's fiction sort of thing rather than let's celebrate her like we would celebrate Thomas Harris or Patterson or, you know, all these muscular men who write like men.
2: It is so silly because what about Agatha Christie? She kind of is like the godmother of. Sure.
1: But, you know, and Rebecca is a fantastic book um, There, Daphne du Maurier wrote. There are all kinds of Patricia Highsmith. Like you can point to women throughout history. The first one, the first detective novel written in the United States, a novel was by a woman named Meta Fuller Victor. And Poe wrote a short story, but she wrote a novel called The Dead Letter. We don't even know her name. Everybody knows Poe. Probably because the way he lived his life. But yeah, this one was amazing. She wrote tons of books. She was so successful she had her own publishing company. Um, wow. Eden uh, Eden Snow Eden I, I I might get that wrong. I'm sure somebody will correct me. She wrote the first series detective novel. I can't even remember her name. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was, it's kind of controversial because she didn't believe in women's suffrage. So maybe that's why I don't remember her name. Um, but we've all, we've, we talk about these successful women, but we don't celebrate them really. I mean, Agatha Christie, we treat her like she's an, an outlier. And women sell a lot of books. We get on the bestseller list, but when it's time to talk about the canon or to give awards or that sort of thing, women tend not to be included. You know, I've been nominated for an Edgar uh, and I looked up the statistics and it was like, wow, I'm only like the 10th woman at the time in 60 plus years. Wow. You know, uh, Patricia Highsmith was awarded posthumously. So and I will say international thriller writers, which I'm just rolling off the board, um, which has been you know hard to roll. Uh, but they they have a lot of parity, and they really work, particularly in the last few years to include women, people of color, to be more reaching out more to the international part. But like when I started, it was it was super hard, super hard for women just to get any kind of respect.
2: Candice.
3: Good segue. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a lot. Um, I actually wanted to speak on a part of that. So, you're known, well, the the books are known, the Will Trent ones especially, I think, are known for a lot of violent crime against Women And I know you speak on this on your, um, there's a fact portion on your website, but I'd actually like to hear that from your point of view now as to why you address certain crimes, especially ones against women as much as you do and what you hope to achieve with that.
1: Well, there's a couple of reasons, and I don't even remember what my facts says, um, so hopefully this aligns. One is, you know, I, I write about violent crime in general, and I no one ever gives me credit when I kill a bunch of men. You know, I had a, a novel called Cop Town. Five men were brutally murdered, and people were like, oh, yeah, that's a great book. And then the next one, I had one woman, young woman, who was murdered, and they were like, oh, that's so violent. And so like there's this perception in society only in death that a woman's life is more valuable than a man. Um, And particularly if she's a white woman or pregnant, she's going to be on People magazine. I mean, I don't have to explain to you guys. You watch the news, you're in the world and, you know, like indigenous women, women of color. They're just they're not going to penetrate the zeitgeist as far as us trying to find out who committed these crimes or they're not going to get the attention. And, you know, honestly, I don't know if we should even have that level of of attention. I think that's a different conversation because it's like the, you know, a woman struggling in a violent relationship for years, everybody's like very unsympathetic and then she's murdered and suddenly she's vaunted. Right. Right. And so that's, that's something I write about actually in my work. I also write about, And it's very important to me to write about violence for what it is, because I think and I say this, if, if this is not your kind of book, there are so many great books you can read that pull back, that don't talk about this as frankly. And that's wonderful. I mean, we're in like an amazing time for crime fiction, if that's your jam. But if you want to know like what's going on and, and have a realistic take, I write that. And one of the main reasons is because of my grandmother. She was in a very abusive relationship with my grandfather. And I had no idea when I was a young child this was going on. And we would go to Sunday dinner with all of our family there. And my grandmother would have a black eye or a cut lip. Occasionally, she would have a broken bone. And my uncles, who were like these big strapping guys, would tease her about being clumsy. And as I got older, I was like, wow, she is not clumsy. This is my grandfather just beating the hell out of her. And we never talked about it. And I asked my sister. She's like, we don't say anything. It's between them. And I know from personal experience that not saying anything only protected my grandfather. It never, ever protected her. Mm -hmm. And so you guys are writers, you know, when you start writing a book, you have to decide how honest you want to be, right? How much of yourself you want to put into this, how you're going to handle different themes and tones and, you know, what the, the level of lightness or darkness is going to be. And so at the time when I started writing, and, and still now there's a softening of language around violence, particularly violence against women. There's a lot of judgment. You know, mm-hmm. no one has like their spouse is murdered and the cops are like, well, it's going to be really difficult to for you if we find out who did this. You're going to have to go to trial. You know, it's, it's going to be really, really hard. So maybe you don't want to find out who killed this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they do that with rape. And it's not completely misplaced, because a lot of women, when they do go to the court system, they get a lot of pushback. And even if the man is convicted, and I'm saying man, because this is what's going on in after that night, but men can also be uh, raped. They can be uh, on the receiving end of of domestic violence and all those things. But particularly in this case, you know, one percent of all trials for felony rape end in convictions. And a lot of times the judges are like, well, we shouldn't let this derail this young man's life. Let's, you know, give him a slap on the wrist or it's pleaded out. And most people don't know that, you know, most people don't. They think, "Okay, well, if someone's raped and it's proven, right, because when we say he said, she said, what we mean is if he said this didn't happen, we're probably going to believe him. Right. And so when it happens, we just all assume if it really is something that was bad and it happened, that the justice system will figure it out. And it very rarely does. And so I think it's important to write about that. I think it's important for us to be aware of it as a society that almost a quarter of a million women every single year in the United States report being raped. And we don't talk about it. I mean, it, it's just something that we, unless, unless she's pregnant and white and she's murdered in the process, it's just not going to penetrate. And so That's one of the reasons why I write these stories is because I want to make sure I'm telling these stories of women we don't even hear from, of women who maybe we don't like them, but that doesn't mean they deserve to be raped. Maybe they made bad choices. Everybody makes bad choices. And, and, you know, particularly after that night, I would really like to say, whatever you do, if this happens to you, is the right thing to do. And if you are a friend to this person who this happened to, you have no idea what it's like. And I think taking that judgment off of women who are victims, who are traumatized, would go a long way toward opening up a greater conversation and getting to a point where we don't say, why did she go to that bar? Why did she go with that guy? Why did she stay out? Why was she dressed like that? We say one thing, why did he rape her?
3: Yeah. So along those lines, and you mentioned this at the earlier part of that, do you find you get a lot of push back against what you write because you're a woman writing it from a very real, very raw point of view that is often overlooked? compared to the hundreds and thousands of male writers who constantly write about sexual assault, constantly write about rape, and the woman is always the victim. And it's okay when they write it, no matter what point of view it's written from, no matter how it's written, how realistic or not, it's okay because it's expected and that's how men write and blah, blah, blah. Do you find you get a lot more pushback because you're writing it as a woman? about I, used this? To.
1: I absolutely used to. You're 100 percent right. I will say I'm not one of those not all men, because if you're not that guy, you know it. You don't need a yeah. hashtag. But like Mark Billingham, Peter Robinson, Lee Child, you know, they write very well about women mm-hmm. in a in, And it's interesting because I know these guys, and you know they're they're really good guys, and they they want to know what women have to say. They listen to women, and I think it's reflected in their writing. And I I did when I first started out, I wanted to bring a woman's point of view to this crime. Um, And not all my books are about sexual violence; Mm -hmm. um, it should be said. But you know the thing is, I was only reading a man's perspective, and for a lot of these guys. And I'm not going to say they're all baby boomers, but for a lot of these guys, the answer to a woman who has been raped is to make love to the hero in their book. Right. And then she's cured. And there is like two two ways you can be after you're sexually assaulted. You are either a Madonna or a whore. Right. And you can always tell because she's like smoking cigarettes and riding a motorcycle and drinking and all this stuff. And, you know, still she's like, oh, I can't wait to give this guy a blowjob. You know, so it was like a really unrealistic look at it. And yeah, I wrote very early on, you know, Sarah being sexually assaulted is something that happened before Blindsided. In my first novel, I had a character named Lena Adams. Who is a very complicated and unlikable person, right? Mm-hmm. Or character? And a lot of times, I people would say, like early on, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't like Lena, and I would say, well, that's yeah, that's okay because she's really making bad decisions, um, and she's not the good victim, right? She gets sexually assaulted, and she does what is typical. For many women after a sexual assault, you know, some, some statistics will tell you they're 80% more likely to experience another sexual assault, either from the first abuser who is generally an acquaintance or someone they know or they're married to, or from someone else. And it's because women are very good at blaming themselves when bad shit happens. and they can put themselves in situations where they are vulnerable. And so this is something I wanted to talk about. You know, Lena ends up with an incredibly abusive guy because she thinks her self-worth is so destroyed that that's what she thinks she should be doing. And that's not a story, I think, that a lot of men write. You know, in, 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 we're writing at the time, I should say, because absolutely some are doing it now. But I, that, to me, was a woman's perspective, is I'm going to write about this woman you don't necessarily like. But sometimes you're going to say, I can see why she did that. Or I feel bad for what's happening or because that's the truth of life. We don't get to pick who we feel sorry for. You know, some, some people we feel really sorry for, they make horrible mistakes and bad decisions and you know, you wouldn't want to be in the same room with them, but they're still human beings and they deserve peace in their life. Yeah. So
3: how, how about faith? I really, really liked her. So what can you tell us a little bit about her and what made you write her role in alignment with Will?
1: So the thing about faith is, everybody always and you guys know this. People ask where do you get, where do you get your ideas and how do you do your research, right? And faith came about because I was writing her at a time when a lot of the women in my life. And, and we're becoming parents, which is not anything I would ever want to do because I cannot stand babies. They're very annoying um, and sticky, just so sticky. Um, and so she's the one I had to do the most research. I still have to do a lot of research. I mean, it's it's really just anathema to me to have this desire to want children and the patience and, you know, because I just freaking hate them. And, um, you know, so I read a lot of mommy blogs and it's like, wow, they hate them too. So it's, uh, it's really, you know, I, a lot of times I'm just reading them for, cause sometimes they're hilarious. These women are hilarious. I don't know if they're drinking, but you know, they're, they're really funny. Um, but shit that never occurs to me and, and I'll read something and I'll think, oh, what if it was this instead, or what if it's that, or, you know, I'll listen to my editor, for instance, uh, as she was talking about raising her two children and what that was like for her. And I remember she said this thing to me and, uh, about her kid. She, um, so my editor had a really, really bad cold and I said, just drug yourself and go to sleep. And she's like, I can't cause my kid might need me. I was like, I'm so glad I have a kid because there is no way. I mean, I just like lock them in the closet. Right. And just glug some NyQuil. I just don't have the the stamina for that. Um, And so that's something I, I write about. But also I'm Gen X, man. I mean, we had the teenage pregnancy crisis. I had a friend in high school who at 15 had a baby. And she was sent to the Jerry Falwell home for unwed mothers, right? And she came back with a baby. And she's like in high school with a baby. And so that was part of my life. And I thought, well, what happens to someone who has that? And how do they, how do they navigate the world if they've been a mother since the age of 15? What does that do to them? And how do how do they interact now that they have like a grown son who is like older than they were when they had this, this kid. So that to me felt like an interesting dynamic. And I I wanted to, to humanize it. Cause there's a lot of stigma about it. Like everybody in high school was having sex. Right. And she's just the one who, you know, it, it happened to, and her parents were super religious. So that was what they forced her to do was to go to this Jerry Falwell home. I mean, it's insane. Um, But so I thought that that would be a really interesting thing to show her humanity mm. and to show, you know, this is what happens next.
3: Yeah.
0: Patrick? I, I'm going to jump in if you don't mind. I like yeah. that. We got, um, uh, we're, we're kind of back to this character that spans the series. Um, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I believe that after that night is book 11, uh, that involves these characters. And one thing I'm very curious about is uh, you can pick this up and you can read it as a standalone. There's not a moment where you're going to feel lost. But at the same time, there are going to be elements that pay off for readers who have been there since the beginning. And I wonder when you when you write a book this far into the series, how do you balance that? Create something that's totally standalone, but that also rewards the people who have been with you since the beginning.
1: I mean, you're exactly right. That's the tightrope you have to walk with series, particularly as you get more into the series. And it it's easier now than it was in the beginning. I will say that even though I tried to do it, the first three Grant County books kind of rely on each other in a way that I now, as a writer, have more discipline about Um Mostly it's external things like, oh, are they going to publish another book or do I need to put every single thing I've ever thought in this one book? Right. And then you get to the next book and you're like, oh, everybody needs to know all the information from the last book. And so as I've written more, I realize, no, they don't. They just need the information for this book. And I have to find that information in a way that is not annoying (laughs) To longtime readers, and they're like, "Yeah, we know dis- Will's dyslexic." Somebody wrote to me. It's like you don't have to say it every time. I'm like, "Well, this is kind of an important part of his personality." Um, but um, you know, the, it, it get finding that thing that balance between enough information and too much information is always a balancing act. But also, I want to find something new to say about the characters. And definitely, Sarah, you know, another choice I made when I started writing my first novel was I'm going to have them change because of what happens in these books, right? We've all read books where like the apocalypse happens in one and then in the next, it's like on page one, the apocalypse was bad, but now I have to move on, right? And they never mention it again. And I thought if I'm going to write these stories about violence, about society about communities and how they respond to this trauma because it is a trauma when a crime happens in a community it affects everybody particularly sexual trauma i mean the woman her partners her family her church her pastors where it happened like you know the people who work there all of that is impacted so it was really important to me to to be able to put that in context but. With After That Night, I, I have to, or a book like After That Night, I have to find a way to give you just enough information, but also say something thing New. And one of the tricks is the people grow, the characters grow with each book. So like even the will you meet in the first triptych, the book triptych is kind of different and has evolved into the will he is now. And faith is the same way. You know, they were very in their own corner kind of people and very pugilistic toward each other for reasons you'll have to read the books to find out. And then eventually they're like ride or die with each other, but that's earned, right? Like Will and Sarah is earned. It took several books for them to get where they are now. And he had to kind of step up to be the kind of man that she would be with. And she had to kind of figure out, okay, well, how do I love this guy who feels like, he doesn't deserve to be loved. I mean, that was a real journey for them. And that, I think, is what keeps people engaged the longtime readers and the new ones.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now, you touched on this a little bit, I think, but uh, I, I had seen uh, an interview you did with uh, Writer's Digest, I believe it was, where you said, when you come to the end of these books, you said, Happily Ever After is the complicated part. So with that in mind, as well as kind of what you talked about with the characters continuing to grow with every book, what are some of the things you do and also some tips you could offer writers about uh, writing realistic relationships?
1: Well, you know, it helps to be in one. Um, Not necessarily. I mean, we all know about loners. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald was really horrible to Zelda, and he still wrote... um, Well, I wouldn't say complicated, but relationships people were interested in. But it is a challenge when people are happy. You know, Sarah and Will are very happy with each other. And so I have to find external pressures to put stress on them without it seem like seeming like the whole plot of the book is they're going to make up, they're going to break up, they're going to make up, they're going to break up. And <laughs> that's like a horribly false sense of tension. Like a lot of books you read from the eighties and nineties rely on that dynamic. Will they, or won't they? And then, you know, once you get to the, the, will they, cause yeah, of course they will. Then, then you have nothing left. And so making the characters complicated, giving them other people in their lives with whom they have complicated relationships, um, having crimes that affect them at a very personal level that they feel connected to is very important. Uh, and just making sure that the, the tension comes from outside and not the, the attention from they're going to just split up forever. And then two books from now, they're going to get back together because that to me is not very interesting. And it's it's hard. And I say this as someone in a, a long term relationship, but without the murder and the crime, it's very boring to be in a long term relationship. And, you know, you got to find things you're interested in. And, uh, you know, you can't write a book where they go to the zoo and they reconnect. Right. <laughs> it has to be like and then they find a body. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that that it's really great that I'm writing in the crime genre, because if I was writing romances, I don't think I'd have a lot. Um, and there's a reason why in romances, the, the happily ever after is at the end. Um, and then if there's a sequel, they've broken up and they have to get back together. And then there's a happily ever after, you know, that sort of pattern. So I, I think just putting them in relationships that have problems and there are issues and they don't always agree with each other and they argue. Um, and I mean, argue, I don't mean fight because there's a difference. You know, you can say things in a fight that are really nasty. And people say, I didn't mean that. And you're like, well, yeah, you actually did mean it. You didn't mean to say it. Right. So keeping that honesty, I think, is a really important part of their personalities. And I think it helps the books to work at a fundamental level because you've got to have something safe for the reader. Right. You, it, it, you You've got to have a, a hero And you've got to have an antagonist, but you also have to have a place of comfort, particularly when you're writing about violent crime. I feel you need people who love each other, who care about each other. You need like a touchstone as a reader so that the other stuff isn't just too unrelenting.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. uh, Brennan, I don't want to interrupt, but do you have a follow up to that, buddy?
0: No, that's that's pretty much a a nice expansion of, you know, what you started with, with the growth. And I do love the idea of how, you know, being a crime writer, you would have to approach it differently. But you do kind of get that nice little um, flicker of flame to make it more interesting. You know, it's certainly going to be approached differently if the uh, if we're finding bodies left and right. Then if we just (laughs) are, you know, uh, having a stereotypical relationship. No, Patrick, go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the,
2: I don't know what else to call it, uh, the rape culture, the view on it. Because there's a really famous one from 1983. Some of you might know, some of you might not. It was in uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Cheryl Arojo um, might be mispronouncing her name. Basically, she was going to uh, get cigarettes, went into her, the store that she goes into normally was closed. She went to this tavern. And she was raped. And it's said that there were men just like she didn't know how many men, but there were men just uh basically rooting them on. Um, and eventually she escaped, ran out of the street like half naked. It got national attention, and it turned it just like she was already the victim of a terrible thing. And then it turned into because I was heavily I don't know if it still is, but it's a heavily uh Portuguese um area uh and it turned into like uh they kind of viewed people that should have her back kind of viewed it as like well now everyone's anti-immigrants are against portuguese and this and that and basically the whole media the trial everything every step it, it it just i can't imagine the pain she went through she eventually died of a car accident um when she was 25 but I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. It's a case that there's documentaries out there. And for anyone that's interested to learn, like how terrible it is, that's a pretty big case from where Brandon and I are from. And um, that's, there's really no follow-up to that. I just wanted to throw that out there, but I do have a happy comment uh, from TJ Trenchell. And he said, please ask Karen how she ended up on the mini golf show. Holy moly.
1: Oh, wow. Um, going back to what you said. I know that case and there are cases still happening very similar to that. Um, there's just it's, like this. It's awful. It's reflex awful. to protect the man and not worry about the woman. And there and I i, I would also just like before we get to pup to say, <laughs> you know, I think we should investigate why when a man comes forward. I'm saying this because of Boston, probably. Um, but when a man comes forward and says I was raped as a child. We're like, oh, he's so brave. We need to support him. And a woman says it and they're like, why did she wait so long? Is she telling the truth? So yeah. that's that's one of the things that go hand in hand with that is like to protect men at the cost of women. And again, it's something we do as a society. Women are the worst perpetrators. Um, but that leads us to holy moly.
2: I actually I got, I got so one thing ahead. to tag onto that, that it's not it's not terrible like that but it kind of is on a societal level is like i got two sons one's three and a half the other one's uh just turned a month yesterday i think it was yesterday um and bring that up because if i'm just out with them just me and my son sometimes you know my wife's doing whatever i've literally heard because they say directly to me like usually moms say uh you're such a great dad and that's so weird because like my wife can do that Jack shit, won't hear anything. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand it.
1: Yeah. No, I, at the office, uh, a friend of mine works at. Like, if a woman has a, a kid that's sick, it's a child care issue. But if a man has to take care of the kid, then it's like he's such a great father. Um, it's,
2: so, it's so bizarre.
1: Put, put, and congratulations, by the way. One month oh. old. I can't imagine the hell you're going through. <laughs> So I <laughs> I, love, I love Putt-Putt. I played it with my dad all the time. My dad got a little sick and it freaked me out because dads aren't supposed to get sick. And I said to my publicist, I want to be on this show that I love, Holy Moly. And she made it happen. And by that time, my dad was better and I was over it. And I was like, what the fuck have I done? Um, but it was too late because I was like already booked in. And I ended up It's extreme mini golf. So you have to go through and it the first season was not as dangerous and violent as subsequent seasons. Otherwise, I never would have done it. Um, because the first season it was like the worst thing that could happen is you get pushed into the water. The second season, they're like, Let's electrocute them and set them on fire. Uh fortunately that wasn't me. I had to be airlifted um on top of like a mountain bouncy house. And there was a bucking gopher on top of it, like a right, a bull. Uh, and it, yeah, I got on it, um, which was very dangerous. I got on it and it bucked me off. Um, and however long I stayed on would give me a better position to putt from. And I still think I would like to go back and look at the film. I think I beat the guy, but whatever. Um, so anyway, I got thrown off and then I had to putt. And as I was putting, I was like, do not make this hole. Do not do it because you do not want to stay in this place. And the guy I, who was I was playing against was a super sweet guy. He loves golf. He wants to like break into golf. He's helping um, underprivileged kids learn how to play golf. And I'm like, I just saw this on TV. I'm like, you totally deserve to, to do this next thing more than me. Um, and so I was so happy when I missed my putt. And I got to go home because he ended up getting whacked in the face by a portalette door and thrown into the water. Yeah. So, wow. That is how I ended up on it. It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> I still up the show, but I was like, ah, I got so lucky. I mean, some guy there screwed up his knee. And I'm like, man, you're my age. You do not need to be doing this. You do not need to go back. With your knee screwed up. you That is going to be with you in the nursing home. And he's like, no, no, I can win. I can win. You oh my win. God. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. This one girl, like she was. So it's it's filmed outside of Los Angeles, but it's super cold at night because it's in the the winter. So like it starts out and it's 80 degrees and then it's five degrees <laughs> where they fill it. And this one girl got thrown in the water and she said it was so cold. I forgot how to swim. Like they had to send the lifeguard for her that is crazy it's crazy yeah
2: holy shit uh, it sounds like hypothermia is gonna occur <laughs> um is there anything about after that night that you would like uh potential readers old or new um to know about what to expect with this book anything that we might not have gone over yet
1: Well, you know, I mean, we've talked about some heavy themes, but it's also just a thriller, right? So if you want to take it to the beach or on the airplane and there's twists and turns and sex and murder and chihuahuas, that's all there. Uh, If you want a deeper meaning that's there, I mean, that's the fun of writing a crime novel is you have to always be conscious that you can't subvert the plot for an issue or for a theme or whatever. The novel has to be a pulse pounding, seat of your pants, want to turn every page thriller, otherwise none of it matters. Why why write a thriller if you you want a polemic, right? So mm. to me that's what's important when I write the books, first and foremost, I want to entertain people and if it makes them think about some things, that's great. Um and you know, I think that's the joy of being a writer is you get to to write one book that can appeal to all sorts of readers.
2: Mm. And I'm really interested to know because we talk about this um amongst me, Brennan Candice, amongst our like hard, little independent hard writers and whatnot. But um I'd like to know how you think people uh could and I guess I'm mostly saying this about like let's let's just call a spade a spade straight white dudes, right? Um how how can how can like we be better about uh representing in this case, crime writers or any kind of writers, you know, female writers, uh, uh, colored writers, um, anything of that nature. We've talked about it a lot, but uh, I kind of like to throw like solutions too. And I definitely think that you're the person to kind of have those answers.
1: Um, well, I and I'm, I say this with kindness and love. I think primarily we need to stop asking people to do our emotional work for us. And just like look around because I think the solutions are really obvious. And and one thing that I've seen a lot of guys doing is look, you know, when we when we do lists of books we love, it's like there's certain guys who are only going to recommend straight white guys, right? And they're never going to think, I I need to think of the women I need. And a lot of men just simply will not read women because they don't care. They're not interested in what women have to say. And, you know, okay, fair enough. If that's that's it. I don't like to read those guys who feel that way. Um, But for me, I can only speak to myself and take it or leave it. I love reading different books from different points of view. That's my jam. It's always been my jam. And I have a lot of friends in the writing community, and it's really important to talk about all of them. So when I do a list, I'm very thoughtful about who I include, who I talk about. Um, And that, that, you know, I I think that's important. I think one of the most important things I did on the board of ITW is like, okay, well, can we get someone who's not a straight white man to do this? (laughs) Or just ask me that question. Hey, what about that? Um, but, you know, again, I think we shouldn't ask people from these communities what to do. We should just open our eyes and think about putting ourselves in their shoes. And what would I want? What Mm. what am I seeing? What can I speak up about? Not tell me what to do, but what can I do for you instead of you doing all this emotional labor to tell me how to be a better person? Um, cause it should, it should be pretty evident by now. You can make an argument in the eighties and nineties that we didn't know, but we fucking know. And to not acknowledge it is really hurtful. You know, you're just hurting people by not thinking, doing that. Our job as writers is to, we're not murderers that we know of, but we write about murderers. We're not detectives. I'm not a doctor. I put myself in their shoes all the time. I do the research. I figure that out. So that's like the long story short and kind of an asshole way of saying it, but figure it out for yourself.
2: That's perfect. You know what? Some people need that, that uh, brutal, brutal honesty. Um, It's a good segue to say, do you have any, they can be crime writers. They can be any, any type of writer. Do you have any writers that you would like to throw out there? Might be I, have, question, but.
1: <laughs> I have one one book I just finished reading. I, I just came back from my tour. I got it right here. I'm showing it to everybody. Denise Milner is amazing. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Um, she's a really good writer. Like every word is like a kiss on the mouth. It's just so beautifully written. I love everything she does. I love Alifair Burke. I love Lisa Gardner, Lisa Unger, um, Jennifer Hillier. Uh, Derville McTiernan, she's Irish, but you can forgive her for that. Um, you know, Kathy Rikes is still pumping out amazing stuff. Um, Eri Lee Child I'm going to show up for, Mike Connolly, Jeff Deaver, you know, the, the, the usual suspects. But, you know, also Steph Cha, holy crap, the stuff she's doing is just like, wow. I mean, that's, we all started writing because we read a book that inspired us. And I still get that. Like I read my sister, the serial killer, and I'm like, God damn, this is amazing. And makes me want to like be a better writer. And that is why I talk about, this is kind of a golden age for crime writing. I don't think the last one was, because it was like a golden age for a certain type of, of writer. This to me is the real golden age. Cause we're getting so many disparate voices, so many perspectives and understanding and, I mean that I just love it. I love everything about it and I want more from all of these writers. That's amazing.
2: Um yeah, I I just want to throw a few up there then I'm going to say uh, Candace and Brennan um and then we'll kind of wind down. Um first off, I want to say uh we got Sina Palayo. She wrote uh She writes crime and horror amongst a few other things, but Children of Chicago, it, it's just a fantastic uh, excuse me fantastic book and then next uh it's one of our f- three of our favorites uh essay cosby my favorite book by him is blacktop wasteland i know brandon would go with razor blade tears um and candace i gotta ask you what's yours of, all Sean, of, of, of sean's books <laughs> <All> that's, <laughs> that's not a good enough answer
3: <laughs> all of them but razor Blade Tears, I think, is probably my number one at the moment, so but I was lucky enough that I got to read the newest one sort of as he was writing it, so that might be a personal (laughs) favorite.
2: (laughs) There you go. And then Jordan Harper wrote a really excellent one called She Rides Shotgun. Um, That's just, I know that inspired Sean, uh, S.A. Cosby. Um, It's just next level stuff, but Candace, do you have any
3: that you want to recommend? Any writers? Or throw out there? Um what that I recommend. Um I always hate these questions because I'm never prepared. I can never remember everybody I want to say off the top of my head. Um cynthia you already named the Bino Glaces is doing major things right about now. Haley Piper right now is writing some incredible stuff. Um, I guess my overall recommendation would be is expand your mind. Look for those folks you don't read that much of and read it. Learn about them. Open yourself to new cultures and backgrounds and voices because you're missing out there's so many great things out there right now whether it's crime fiction or horror or fantasy there are people from all walks of life right now writing incredible things and no matter where you come from you will find someone to relate to just
0: try it try something new
3: yeah brandon
0: uh, you know what? I, I think I got to crib both your lists. They're very good lists. I, I love what Gabino's doing. I love what Sean's doing. Uh, Cena yeah. Palayo was just getting bigger every day until I, you know, she's, I, she absolutely has the capability to be a household name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm also going to add to that list. Uh, Candace Nola.
2: <laughs> you bastard. I didn't mention her for a reason.
3: All right.
2: Because uh, <laughs> you always get like you always get like embarrassed and and modest. Oh, I don't mind embarrassing her.
1: All right, uh, okay. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Let's uh, move to final thoughts.
2: Go for it, Karen. Do you have any final thoughts, comments, anything that you'd like to say?
1: I would say it's been a pleasure talking to writers and readers because obviously you're very well read, and it's so important for people who are writers to also be readers. Because it just makes their stories that much more interesting.
0: Yeah.
3: Candice. Final thoughts. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you for spending your hour with us. And thank you for the books that you write and the way that you are writing them. Because as a woman who has trauma in my life, it's important. So thank
0: you you. Yeah. Brian. You know what, Karen, you said it uh, absolute best. You said that um, after that night is this nice balance of this is a book you could read on the plane or at the beach. But at the same time, it does dive deeper into those topics. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff that uh, you and Candace went back and forth on very poignant, thoughtful stuff really on, you know, some heavy topics and you can find that all in here. That con- It can start that conversation, but it does, you know, have that brilliant bullet pacing that a thriller needs. So complete package. And I, I think that people will love it. And like we said, if you are a fan of the series, this is a great one. And it is also written in a way that if you've never read one before, you can start here.
1: Yep. Thank you.
2: My final thoughts are all three of us were really excited when we knew that we were gonna to talk to you. It's truly an honor. And um hope it's not the first and last time. Uh and we just want to thank you for that. And listeners, I know that you guys are probably very excited about this, and uh, we appreciate your time as always. Uh next week we're gonna be talking with Clay McLeod Chapman talk about his upcoming book. As always, thank you. For picking up